If we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I've been on more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of part of our culture to eat glass. Hey, get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>Hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we talk to developers building in the Solana ecosystem. Today we have with us um, somebody that most of you probably know, Mert, the co-founder of Helios and one of the more recent champions of the Solana blockchain. How's it going, Mert? Hey, Chase. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you on the show. You've, you've been around a lot lately and like been doing some really incredible stuff and really just wanted to get you on the show and sort of talk about some things. But the way we normally start the show is to talk about sort of like where you started, like not, not necessarily like where you, how you got into Solana quite yet, but uh, more so like, like you're an engineer, obviously, you're writing code all the time. Well, more recently, it sounds like you're actually using AI to write your code for you, but we'll, we'll just sort of leave that to the side. But like, where did you get your career started like uh, with software development? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I majored in applied math and computing and communications engineering. Uh, communications engineering being like signals and, and stuff like that, satellites. Um, and while I was in school for that, uh, I wanted to really major or have a career in like pure math um, or physics. Oh man, TJ Littlejohn. Did you know TJ Littlejohn was like a huge like pure math guy as well? Because when he was on the show, like he's like a big math guy if you didn't know that. I did not. I did not love TJ though. Yeah, so was, was a pretty big math fan. Uh, and then funny enough, I actually got an internship uh, to work for BlackBerry uh, where I was working on the infrastructure cloud team there working on the cloud that hosted BBM, if you remember BBM. I'm not sure what exactly happened, but it, it kind of made me appreciate like the, the shipping aspect and like the, you know, the practicality of software development much more. Uh, and basically I was like red-pilled after that and I wanted to just ship stuff instead of doing theoretical math work. And what languages were you writing your code at the time? So JavaScript and jQuery, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, yeah, uh, some like random infra stuff like Chef Cookbooks, um, Ansible, um, like bare metal cloud infra stuff like Bash, etc. I also, that's when I also first, so this is still in school, I, I took a lot of cryptography courses, obviously. And that's when I also first heard about blockchain, but I didn't really think much of it at that point. I kind of figured you need like a PhD to do anything meaningful, but obviously it was quite wrong. So that's where you started your career. Like, did it, was there any sort of progression from there? Like, can I ask you how old you are? Guess. Guess how old I am. 27? Yeah, I'm 27. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very uh, good. Yes. Yeah. So, so you started there, BlackBerry, you're, you were using jQuery and a, a bunch of interesting languages at the time. Like, so, so where'd you go from there? Like, before, before you are to where you are now? Yeah, so I worked at like three of the largest banks in Canada. So Canada is run by like five banks, really. So I worked with three of them, um, building payments infrastructure uh, for like withdrawing from ATMs and stuff. Um, I did some cybersecurity at a few banks. Um, and I also helped build the infrastructure for the trading engines and some of like the investment products. 
And then after kind of being fed up by the banks, I worked at like a fintech called ClearCo, ClearBank, um, which is only like one of the only few unicorns in Canada. Um, and there I was in charge of like the treasury tech lead um, position. So moving funds, helping like build like virtual cards that entrepreneurs can use for their business expenses and stuff, kind of like Brex. And that's kind of where I noticed all the inefficiencies within the current financial infrastructure. Um, and then basically, th- there was this occurrence that happened where we were trying to fund entrepreneurs in Australia. And to do that from Canada, we need to like jump through all these different jurisdictions in, in the world. It wasn't just as simple as like sending USDC on, on Solana. And I suggested like, hey guys, like why don't we just use like Bitcoin or something for this? And basically, everybody just like laughed at me and they were like, ha like that's a scam. Like, <laughs> like what are you even doing? And then I, I didn't think that was a great answer. Um, and, and so basically the next month, I started working at Coinbase. Oh, yeah. That You know what? I completely forgot about that, that you actually went over to Coinbase. It was interesting that I had no idea that like your career was like you spent your time in math and then finance and then doing a lot of those things. And then that led you to Coinbase which is somewhere in the middle um, of all those things. So like, h- how was that? I don't want to put you on blast about Coinbase, but like Coinbase is, is a great company. I think we all, like most of us can agree on that. So like, how, how was your experience working there? Yeah, I mean, Coinbase honestly was, was quite great. Um, I, I learned a ton there. Um, a lot of incredibly smart people, anything from like actual cryptographers to protocol engineers to like just like really smart marketing people. Um, It's interesting because like basically my career went from like the most bureaucratic form of finance, like large banks to fintech to crypto. And so I kind of got experience with each of those kind of different um, segments. What what was great about Coinbase is um, basically I was on the team called the Financial Hub team. And basically this team is in charge of all the fund movements, balances, and transaction histories at Coinbase. So like if you place a trade on Coinbase or move money um, or just view your portfolio history, et cetera, that's some of the stuff I helped build. And you really learn a ton about all the different... Because obviously, like I wanted to be good at my job, like massive tryhard here. Um, And and so I I read all the like white papers of the different EVM chains, Avalanche, et cetera, and also Solana. That's how I came across Solana. And I just really learned a ton. And whenever you had questions, Coinbase has like all these public channels on Slack where you can just post stuff and some like OG who like created USDC or something will answer you. So it's like a pretty cool environment. Yeah, so that sort of leads me into my next question. You're working at Coinbase. You're doing some cool stuff. You just got out of um, out of the traditional finance world and sort of working in Coinbase. It's probably one of a, a really good time for Coinbase. This was... Actually, the, my first intro into crypto was using Coinbase, and like I had a good experience until I stopped using um, sexes altogether um, over the past few years. But um, so you you did a bunch of research on all these different blockchains. You could ask questions, and then I think I remember before you even left Coinbase, maybe we interacted on Twitter at some point. Maybe you DM'd me. Maybe it was a sort of a public message. But like, what was sort of this point when, and I think I even talked to you where you were going to be doing indexers on not only Solana, it was going to be actually more than one ecosystem, that sort of transition. But like, what made you make that jump and being like, all right, Solana's the chain, this is where I'm going, and I'm going to build this really cool shit there. So like, how'd that happen for you? 
yeah, I think kind of, so I don't want to give too long of an answer here for, for the sake of the mental sanity of, of the watchers here, but basically like two reasons, um, one like theoretical, one like actually like case study, I guess. Um, the theoretical reason was that like, obviously I, I read all these different white papers and the EVM chains seem to have this approach to scaling that was very conditional, right? Where it's like, if the merge goes through, then if sharding, if dank sharding, if L2s, it's like, okay, if users are still around in five years at that point, then we're scaling. And it's like, obviously, every probability that you have that's less than 100%, you're reducing the probability by chaining those conditionals. Um, whereas Solana, I read it and it was like, it has some pretty cool stuff, like, you know, just paralyzing um, like state auctions and stuff like that. Um, and I'm also like a big hardware kind of nerd, let's say. Um, and I just really like loved the simplicity of just, you know, you leverage the hardware that's actually already available to you and then scale as fast as possible. And so that was kind of the more theoretical reason. Uh, and then like, uh, I guess more of like a, an actual thing that happened was there was like this designer at Coinbase who released like a free NFT on, on ETH. And he's like, hey guys, like just made a free NFT for all Coinbase. So that's actually what Coinbase people are called, Coinbase. <laughs> I, I went to go mint it. And I was like, ah, oh, sweet, like free NFT. And it actually came to like, I think $320 Canadian because of the gas. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, this, this isn't that free, is it? That, that got me really annoyed. So I actually like instantly, like that second, just downloaded Phantom or not download, I guess add to my Chrome and started playing around with like Radium, uh, Orca, um, and a bunch of like new mints that, that were happening. Obviously it was full of rugs back then, but I, I started like basically just minting a lot of stuff on Solana because it was just so much cheaper. And then I would like try to flip those and, you know, stuff like that. And basically like somewhere along the, along the road there, I was obviously quite active on Twitter, just usually shit posting. Um, and I saw a bunch of people like making these claims, like, you know, Solana NFTs are in a bear market because like the price of Solana went up. Just random Twitter stuff. Yeah, like alpha art just is like, random Twitter stuff. much better than like Magic Eden or something. And I'd be like, like, where are you guys getting this information from? Like, it sounds like BS to me. And so what I ended up doing was, this is before like any analytics platforms or anything like that, like Hello Moon or... I just wrote a bunch of scripts and the data pipelines on my own. And I would just analyze this data myself uh, in real time um, and make like charts. And then I would basically post threads uh, on Twitter. And then like people, for some reason, ended up engaging with it. Um, like pretty like prominent people as well, which I was like, okay, like this community is really awesome. And then I, you know, started building bots and stuff for a bunch of different people and then kind of just took off from there. Cool. I mean, like, you sort of just, I was actually, if you weren't going to mention it, I was going to ask about the sort of community aspect if that, that also had, because you came in at a time when, like, there was a peak point where, like, everybody was so stoked. If somebody like you come in and start sharing all this stuff, it's like, holy shit, these, this guy doesn't even work like on a protocol, he's just here like sharing information and doing really cool stuff. And like that stuff in the community is really sort of cheered upon. So 
what made you stick around? Was it that? Was it more the sort of tech side where like you started going down the rabbit hole of like what's possible in Solana? Was it like the community was like, this is the one for me or, or a combination of both? Like just like help me understand or the, the listeners sort of understand what, what that experience was like. Yeah, so I think, so kind of like a sequence of events um, for context. I essentially came onto Solana like around the DGen Apes Mint um, so this is like right around the time before it really took off. Um, and I think it was actually you who posted something on Twitter about like who would like to help. Like we we're looking for Solana devs or something like that. And you were trying to connect them with different ecosystem teams. And I want to actually just contribute to like open source stuff. And so I messaged, I posted in that thread and I said, hey, I'm like, I work Coinbase. I'd, I'd love to help when I have time. Um, and then I think you and Armani like followed me after that. And then you actually, I think, connected me with Orca, if I, if I don't, if I remember correctly. So I was talking to Orca for a while, but obviously I just joined Coinbase. So I wasn't going to just leave and work for Orca right away, uh, <laughs> which, you know, m- might have been an interesting uh, turn of events. Um, but so, I mean, obviously I, I came for the tech and the tech has not only not changed, it, it's, it's actually improved quite a bit. Um, Obviously, Firebrainster is a big aspect of that. You know, the the local fee markets, priority fees, um, these outages, which is usually just performance degradation, narrated as a downtime. Which you know, don't don't get me started on that. But um, <laughs> basically, like the tech has just been improving, right? So if if my original hypothesis was that I'm I'm here for the tech, that's only improved. So obviously, that's one side of it. And then the community, though, is probably the best community that I'm aware of, at least. Um, Not on just Twitter, but like in terms of developer communities as a whole. Um, You know, anytime you make something and and you ship it, people on Twitter are like, hell yeah, man, like LFG, like that's, you know, cool stuff. Um, They'll ask for, you know, like how you did certain things. I have like a bunch of people DMing me Pretty pretty regularly asking for like certain Solana quirks. Um, obviously, there's Lamport DAO, which sh- shows you like who's involved in the community, super team, um, etc. The, the community itself is honestly, and this I'm sure every guest so far has probably said this, but like the community is quite impressive, and it's part of the reason why I stayed. Uh, but it never was like in doubt. Like the the, the possibility of me leaving was never actually there. So like, it was always because of the tech, but the community is just a massive added bonus for me. Yeah, I mean, like, it, even though that I work for Solana Foundation, it's like, it's what keeps me going every day. Like, I, it was usually typically me and Armani out here, like sort of championing, like a lot of these sort of threads. And then they're like, now I sort of get to take a backseat to you. Um, you've been pretty vocal and and passionate. And like, this is what we want. At some point in time, like there needs to be the community takes over sort of this like, big voice and it not need to come from anywhere near on the foundation side. And you're starting to see that there, there's you and, and there's a handful of others that are starting to get that voice. And like, honestly, like it almost gives a little tear to my eye to just like see that happen. I'm like, hell yeah, you're so passionate about this. You're out here championing the um, like improving the developer experience on Solana and also just out there fighting for like the narrative that's the true narrative and like, what is it about you that that's making you do that outside of like you have Helios, 
We'll we'll talk a little bit also about Lamport DAO, which which has spun up recently a developer community. But like, what keeps you going, and like, why are you when you, instead of just being heads down coder and a, near to this math guy who loves the tech, why are you out here doing what you're doing? Like, and what what feeds the need for you to be so vocal out there in public like that? Basically, two things I would say. One is that I deeply believe in the potential of crypto to improve. Um, the current state of, of of the world, not only as a society, but also just in, in terms of technology, in terms of like financial payment rails and financial economic freedom. I mean, that's my driving force behind pretty much everything is that I actually just believe crypto can help improve uh, the world. And I do, the reason why I'm so passionate about Solana is because I think Solana has got the best chance at doing that, um, right? Like I can already send money to my dad in Turkey with USDC on Solana in 400 milliseconds, right? Um, I can, you know, use a multi-sig with my girlfriend for, for you know, unnecessary purchases and stuff. Uh, there's just a bunch of apps that already work very well and the chain already functions. I'm passionate about it because I think crypto is extremely important and Solana is essentially the best chance we have at scaling right now. Number two is a bit more... Uh, Pride to do with my personality. I'm just a shit poster and a grumpy troll, essentially. <laughs> and every time I see somebody post complete nonsense, which is quite frequently about Solana for some reason, um, I just I, I look at it and I'm like, my goodness, like how did that information even spread? Like it's just so blatantly false. I, I must correct it. It's kind of like a <laughs> kind of like a private mental problem. Um, Funny story, actually. So I was I was doing research like when I was working at Coinbase about like the different consensus algorithms, and Justin Bonds. I'm sure some people have seen his, you know, threads. He he posted something like, you know, Solana's founders are fraudulent because they have like deterministic block creation um, on, on on the chain, and I, I remembered like like just last week I was researching this, and it's like first of all. Ethereum also has the same design. And furthermore, I think most proof-of-stake chains actually have this except for Algorand, where the RAND is literally in the name. Um, and so this guy is just completely talking out of his, you know, I don't know how PG this podcast is, but like he's just <laughs> not speaking accurately. And so I made a post about that. Uh, I made a thread about it. And then like Tolly and a bunch of like other like big CT people like retweeted and stuff. And I was like, okay, clearly this needs to be done because people are just talking a lot of inaccurate stuff about Solana. And obviously foundation and labs can only say so much because you guys don't want to come across as, you know, certain people from other chains uh, who I won't name, but you don't want the leaders of the chain and especially, especially official employees to be, you know, saying anything too hostile or aggressive. Whereas I don't have that restriction. I can kind of say, hey, you're actually just wrong. And here's why you're wrong. And since a lot of people are quite wrong about Solana all the time, you know, it's just, I see it and I, you know, try to get some data to back it up. And I, I, I hit reply pretty much. Well, you do an excellent job of it. And, and, and you're right. And like this sort of stuff does need to come to, from the community. But like, I think I can speak for everybody when we say like, we truly appreciate it. And it's really important that the people that are out there doing what you're doing are 
truly informed when they're making those responses because otherwise it just looks like a bunch of crazy people yelling at each other. So like having that sort of voice of understanding and reason is really important. But like one thing that I've learned personally that that I know you have to go through is that like this actually does like can like affect you like in sort of like mental deterioration when you're constantly doing that, especially when you're trying to focus on coding. I know you like drink tons of coffee and diet Coca-Cola, but like that'll only get you so far because this, uh, this, this is an exhausting sort of industry when you're out there having to spend time when you should be working on your business, having to do what you do. But again, it's, it's, it's super appreciated. Um, I want to get into, initially it had no name, um, then the vote took place, and now we're calling it Lamport Dow. For all the listeners, Lamport is is the smallest um, um, value of a soul. Um, so this is named after Leslie Lamport, one of Anatoly's idols, apparently. And it was really cool to see that group form. And now you guys are talking about like all the different things that you can do to improve the ecosystem. I know right now, I think in discussions we've had, it doesn't have its true identity yet. You really just sort of like sounded the alarm. People came in, ideas are sort of getting to thrown around. But the way I've seen these groups um, form in the past, like Super Team DAO started as just a Discord. And now it's like grown into this global thing. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess maybe you can describe just, just a little bit about like the sort of reason for putting together Lamport DAO and like sort of what what what's the current state of of that um, group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the my at least rationale for starting it was like, so Ethereum obviously has like developer DAO. And it, it seemed to me like most of the developer community stuff on Solana was driven obviously by foundation, which is which is great. That should that should be happening. But there also needs to be a community-driven aspect to it, um, because, like, obviously, as as I said before, there are certain things that foundation can't be doing, or otherwise it'll be seen as like king making, right? Or like picking winners and favorites. And so there needs to be like a much more community-driven aspect to some of these things. And so that was, I mean, I just said like, you know, I threw the idea out into the wild. Like, what if we had developer DAO on 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 Solana? And a lot of people said, like, hell yeah. And then I was like, okay. And then I just basically created a Discord, gathered a bunch of people who I think would be good leaders for it. Like, you know, Italo from Ironforge, who's been on the show before, um, Chris from Dialects, and a bunch of others, like Soji from Soland. Um, and basically, we just started this group. Um, and I made it invite only just to make sure that we get, like, actual Solana developers it's smart to do. Um, I actually created a group previously. And like, if you open this up too early, bots come in, it becomes a nightmare, too many voices, and they'll just die. So I think you made a really smart decision by just doing that invite only off at the beginning. It helps a lot. So that was very smart. Yeah, it w wasn't planned, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> so my goal right now is it for it to be a social hub for developer community on Solana. Um, so people post about like job opportunities there, um, show off what they've built. Um, also like, you know, Monkey Dow is now doing this thing where they're like airdropping rewards to Solana developers. So they're using Lamport Dow for that. Uh, Super Team is actually helping as well. Obviously, Solana just had that Discord integration. And, you know, I I was chatting with John and like Foundation and helping them test that. So it's kind of the the goal, like you said, so me and you talked about this earlier, but I'm just trying to determine like exactly, okay, what does that look like? Like, what does Solana need? Is it really education to go from like 
mid-level developer to like a senior salon developer because that's what most teams are looking for as opposed to entry level? Is it just a social hub um, where you get like perks and discounts from other Solana, you know, ecosystem teams, which we already have right now, by the way. Um, so we're basically just trying to figure that out. Um, we do have like a pretty involved, um, I, I call them scrum masters, um, like group of leaders who have like admin privileges who actually just like host community calls or like staff calls and like figure out where we're going to go next. So it's still like quite early, but um, I do think there's a lot of potential there. No, I agree. And over the time, over the last couple of years here at Solana Foundation, I'm like, my job is to actually look for Mertz and then help them and empower them to get the shit done that they want to do. And like, this is really like how you scale an ecosystem. So, and it's really a group like Lamport Dow, like, you come together, you look around, like, should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? Over time, it starts to become more clear where you slot in, where you could support Super Team, where they could support you and how you can leverage what they're doing and how they can leverage what you're doing. And eventually you just sort of have like this living, connected sort of ecosystem of these like these sort of autonomous groups. And I think like if the right people are in place, then it sort of just shows itself eventually um, as long as you're sort of like paying attention. So again, really, really happy. I was stoked whenever I saw that thing go live. I was immediately just like, finally, somebody did it. Um, so here we are. I want to talk about Helios. I think we've all seen you show Helios and about every single thread on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> that's besides the point. Like, let's let's talk about, like, I think I know why you created it, um, but I'll let you go ahead and just sort of speak briefly to why and, like, what is Helios for, for the listeners who don't know? I, I guess I should start with what, what it is first. So it's Helios is a developer platform that's essentially tailor-made and vertically integrated for Solana to help abstract away the pain that comes with working on Solana as a developer. And okay, so why is it necessary, right? So kind of two reasons. So number one was that it's it was really hard to understand on-chain data. As I mentioned earlier, like the, in the earlier days of Solana, what, what I used to do was I used to kind of, there was a lot of like scams and rugs of different NFT mints or like DeFi projects. And what I would do is I would track, you know, what's happening on-chain and, and see like, okay, who's the thief? Is it related to somebody else? Like, can I figure out who they are? Uh, I work at Coinbase. Can I actually tell the security guys to potentially flag this account? Um, so basically what I would do is I would just track scams on chain. And then I've actually like successfully frozen or helped freeze a few accounts on Binance um, from Solana rugs and like written up a few articles or helped write up a few articles on like decrypt and stuff. Uh, and one thing that I noticed was that it's extremely hard to track stuff on chain on Solana. It's, it's just hard to understand the block explorers and especially the transaction histories of like wallets, right? Like you could make, you know, some sort of DeFi transaction and then come back to it six months after. And then it's just like a bunch of cryptic kind of uh, encodings and you don't actually know what you did. Uh, and then number two, basically there was like this big gap between like enterprise adoption and Solana. So for example, like Coinbase uses OpenSea and like Etherscan for like half their APIs for some of the ETH-related stuff. Uh, on Solana, that doesn't really exist. And so if you're a brand or like a larger enterprise and you want to build on Solana, you usually have to 
use something subpar or like build something yourself to to get started. And so there's like a big gap between like, you know, the Web 2s and like the Web 2.5 companies and actually building on Solana. Uh, Discord is actually a good example of this, right? They uh, need to keep track of all the different wallets that people have linked through Solana. And then they need to like watch those wallets in real time going forward. And obviously, they can't be bothered to set up a geyser plugin and all this infrastructure. And so they just use Helios webhooks right now to, to do that. And so when you kind of combine those two things, you kind of arrive at why basically Helios is necessary and why we created it, which is to abstract away all the different pains of building on Solana, whether it's geyser plugins or decrypt, you know, um, or decode on-chain data to actually make it human readable. You know, we, we have a lot of different future plans as well, like helping with um, like account streaming, uh, account indexing, DeFi APIs, um, everything from essentially like the bare metal, like lowest possible stack to the highest possible um, pain points of any developer on Solana. Yeah, cool. I was actually just about to ask what the future was. And like, I think I recently saw you mention something about like shifting and going over from um, NFTs to DeFi. And I think that's going to be super powerful. Obviously, like with a lot of some recent events, um, we definitely want to start like doing whatever we can to make it easier to build DeFi protocols. So that's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. So we know why Helios needs to exist now. Um, and outside of like what Helios is doing, you talk about the, like making the developer experience easier. You're kind of focused on a, on, on a specific area, at least right now. Like, what else is missing in the ecosystem? Like, what really sucks outside of the problem you're solving right now? So, like, what needs to be built to improve the developer experience on Solana? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So, th there's a few things. One is like interfaces is, is a big problem um, where you have all these individual programs, which kind of causes some centralizing functions, especially if those programs aren't immutable uh, or governed by like sufficiently dis decentralized multi-sig, um, which you, you kind of just saw today with, with Radium. So interfaces is number one. Um, number two is nobody publishes their IDLs, right? Um, and <laughs> I've heard you talk <laughs> about this once or twice. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still kind of, you know, some, some people, devs that I've talked to say it's because of security. Some just aren't even aware that you can, like, you know, publish IDLs for non-anchor programs, for example. Like, there's different dimensions to this. But anything that helps with that is going to be super valuable so that we can actually understand what's happening on chain. Another big problem, the archival situation on Solana is not great right now. Um, Basically, obviously, Solana has a lot of historical data. And what most teams do is they run a big table instance. And, you know, that works, but it's quite expensive. And there's egress costs. And, you know, as Solana grows, it's not going to scale very well. And uh, we're actually working on this right now at Helios. But there's also other teams, right? Richard Patel, uh, he's working on, like, storing the, the archival ledger on Filecoin, for example. Um, there's a few other teams. I think Triton might be working on it, working on improving this and maybe moving to like HBase instead of Bigtable and stuff like that. M maybe like another thing that's missing is kind of like a culture upgrade to like a more ci cypherpunk kind of mentality where teams should have at least the 
aim of freezing their programs. Right. Right. Um, obviously, you can argue that, well, if the program is frozen, then that might inhibit innovation somewhat, which, you know, fair enough. But it, it seems like it's quite skewed to that argument and not enough towards immutability at all. And so any sort of cultural upgrade we can get there where we've pushed for more immutable programs, whether that's developer tooling or just pure culture and narrative, uh, I think that would be highly beneficial. Yeah, and and to that point, I think like for Solana, because all these new primitives had to be like sort of recreated in Rust and there's a whole new cohort of Rust and not everybody's super experienced in the early stages, I think it makes sense to, to have these upgradable for a moment. But eventually, I think the core of that strengthens and there should be more of a push for that same mentality that you're talking about. This is open sourcing, IDLs, like 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 immutable programs, all that stuff I think comes in time. Um, I mean, people still fail to realize how like immature and young Solana is. And like, that's not an excuse. The newer people coming in or the Web2 people coming in need to be shown the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. It's not okay, yes, it's for opportunity, but at the same time, there needs to be something else behind this. Like we're trying to do something different. I don't know the actual percentage, but when you look at those sort of the developer data on like how many developers there are on Solana right now, like if I had to give my best guess, I would say that like probably 70% of the ecosystem is closed source, roughly that. I don't like, I'm sort of pulling that number out of my ass, but it's really, really high compared to Ethereum. And like, they're kind of forced to follow that ethos because their programs, I don't think can be upgradable <laughs> at the, in the first place. But at the same time, we need to inherit a lot of that. Um, and over time that gets diluted as people that come in as opportunists that don't really give a shit about really what Web3 was trying to solve in the first place. They're just here to like make some money and like build some cool shit on this buzzword that everybody's talking about. So 100% agree with you on that. One other thing I'll mention, I'm not sure if this counts, but one thing that we need to do more of is build applications that are that can only be built on Solana, right? So obviously Solana has a clear scale advantage over other chains, but that doesn't mean anything on paper if it's not executed in practice, right? So order books are obviously a good example of this where you can't really have an order book on ETH. Uh, and that's why AMMs exist in the first place. But it's actually quite important that we encourage people to build things that can only be built on Solana. I'm not sure if that means we look for those people and then convince them to use Solana or, you know, I'm not sure what that looks like. But and that would like help limit kind of these vampire attacks from other ecosystems, right? Where they're like, here's like $5 million to build on our chain instead. It's like, well, actually, we literally can't because your chain can't support it. Um, so I, th I think that'd be that's something we need to think about as well. Yeah, and honestly, that's sort of happening. Gaming's probably going to be the one that sort of is able to prove this out. And like Solana's not the only one like in the gaming world. Obviously, a lot of the the, high, the top blockchains are also competing in this. But the real test comes if you actually land like one of these tier one games that has tens of millions of users, if they'll actually be able to handle the scale of that usage on the blockchain. We know Solana will, but like we're not really sure um, if these if these other ones will if yeah. it's actually used. So we'll um, we'll just leave it at that. So to wrap things up, what's your advice to to new devs coming in to into Solana um, and in Web three? Like what 
if you were talking to yourself or like somebody you really wanted to get in, like like your your past self, like what what advice would you give them in order to like not just learn Solana, but also like to be successful um, in Web three and the space? Okay, so I think my number one advice would be ship something and take action as soon as humanly possible. Literally, just pick a problem that you have or that others might have any inefficiency at all, like any sort of issue, and just try to solve it, right? Try to build something for yourself and make sure you actually execute. So what I mean by that is do not just read about the different consensus mechanisms of different chains or Solana and like try to have like a perfect understanding of like Turbine or something before you code. Just just write the code, right? And then you'll figure it out like, okay, oh, that's why this is necessary, right? So like, why does why do I have to specify all these different accounts ahead of time when I'm in Solana, but not on Ethereum? It's like, well, it's so that we know, you know, which states are being written to, right? Oh, now that makes sense, right? So that's essentially how I got started, right? I didn't like people posting completely unbased um, claims. And so I said, okay, I'll literally just look, the, I mean, the chain is public, so I'll just write a few scripts. I didn't know anything about how to work with Solana, like the Web3.js library. I didn't know that you had to call get signatures for address first and then call get transactions to actually figure out the transactions. I didn't know like the different commitment levels. I didn't know any of this. Um, anyway, so not to go on a, too much of a tangent, but basically my advice would be just, just build something, just solve a problem and then ship it. And use Helios webhooks. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, obviously, like, if you do get stuck, you know, feel free to, you know, shoot me a DM and we'll, we'll try to help you out. But, um, you know, just just try to build something like anything. Um, and, and you'll notice there's a tons of ton of problems. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, it's really great advice um, because you get sort of stuck in that sort of tutorial hell world and um, you end up never shipping and, and you don't really finish. Um, so really great advice. Anyways, Mert, uh, it was great to have you on. Thanks for joining today and see you next time, man. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me.